Welcome to the Composer Studio Podcast. On the Composer Studio, we listen to the music of living composers. We talk to them about their writing process, and we learn about the world of music that they live and work in. I'm Tarek Ghirardella. And I'm Anna Linville. Today our guest is Lynette Lind. Lynette is a beloved composer, pianist, and teacher in nearby Raleigh, North Carolina. She composes symphonic and chamber music in addition to musical theater, dance, and documentary film soundtracks. Her symphonic works have been performed by the St. Louis Symphony, Milwaukee Symphony, Syracuse Symphony, and Rochester Philharmonic. She has received numerous commissions and awards, including the North Carolina Composers Fellowship, National Music Theater Network, Raleigh Medal of Arts, Cornell University, Dance Associates, the Raleigh Oratorio Society, ASCAP, and has been recognized in Marquis' Who's Who and Who's Who in American Women. Hi, Lynette. How are you? I'm just fine, thank you. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. Well, it's good to be here. How did you get started in, in music? What brought you to music? My brother, who was five years older, I would listen to him playing, and then I'd go to the piano and to play what he had just played so they had to start me in lessons at five and I didn't really have very adequate teachers as as a child um but I always loved music and so I took lessons and I practiced on my own I think Rachmaninoff was probably I mean it was one of my favorites when I was young and Chopin um particularly I'm, I'm drawn to but the, the multi-voices, lines overlapping lines. Um, I just was, I've recently worked on a cello etude of Chopin. And um, there's like two, these two solo lines, the, the low cello, the higher flute, and the accompaniment in the middle. And I'm so drawn toward those lines and, and the duet between them. So that was the early attraction. And who was your very first really influential teacher that just kind of broke through to you and, and took you to the next level? That wasn't really until I was, until uh, I graduated from high school. It was around that time. Um, I played the first movement of the Rachmaninoff famous piano concerto number two. And my teacher accompanied me. This was at a big contest in Indianapolis. And after the National Federation, one of those. And I remember she was not doing well. And the judge ordered her out of the room and sat down and played with me. Oh, played. No. <laughs> yes. Oh, it was, it was really unsettling. Because, embarrassing for that teacher. <laughs> yes. But for me, I mean, I remember he wrapped the piano with his fence. I felt like I'd been shot. I mean, hmm. he gave me a couple minutes to get calm and do it again. And he... Um, was one of, he was a very fine teacher himself and was one of the like disciples of the Sun Marsh. And from there, I studied it uh, in Indianapolis at Jordan Conservatory with him on weekends and then went to Indiana University School of Music and was lucky enough to, to study with him and with uh, Patricia Denkman, another wonderful teacher and pianist. Both very fine concert pianists. Well, the whole faculty and I was. At that time, well, I'd, I'd never thought about teaching. And I didn't think about composing. All I wanted to do was really play well. And I I knew I didn't want to be a concert pianist, but I wanted to play like one. I didn't want that lifestyle. 
I wanted to ask you, uh, Lynette, what led you back to North Carolina after you studied in Indiana? Well, I lived, uh, I was married and my husband um, came back and uh, was, was on the faculty philosophy of education at NC State. And, and was it long after that that you got started composing? It was just a few years after that. Um, I had written three kind of simple pieces for children to listen to with stories. Um, I would do this in the school sometimes. One was about a butterfly getting out of his cocoon. It was very lyric. One was dramatic. It was about a king who hated dragons. And the third one was very contemporary and, and was about a toy factory. So I, I did these because I wanted to expose children in, in, to the different things that music can express and the different ways it works. And that's when I was doing them. And Bill Williams happened to hear me. Wonderful baritone. I can never say enough for him. Anyway, he asked me to write uh, a musical, an opera for him. And he said, just pick something. And so I did the picked the Emperor and the Nightingale. And he said, oh, yes, and did it. Um, the, you know, the whole thing was a surprise to me. Again, I think because I don't have a particular, my goal is, oh, no, I do have a goal. But my goal is always just to find that what a thing should be, either whether someone else has written it, what they meant or felt or in this case, well, what does the emperor feel? Uh, how does this work? When death comes on, how is he going to, you know, how are we going to do that? Um, and so I just did it. I mean, so Ira David Wood was so helpful. I mean, he was, and, and I had trouble believing how much everyone liked it. It doesn't sound modest, but I mean, the orchestration for that was, um, I had Rick Modelinski, percussionist from North Carolina Symphony, and Mary Greiner, she was the oboist with them, and piano. But I tell you, they made enough sound, Rick Modelinski. It was, it was very big. But I, I think my big thrill came when I heard the audience laugh. I have a lot of funny bits in there. And again, that, that connecting. That's what I love. So um, critics loved it. Everyone, that surprised me. I just did it. I wasn't trying to impress anyone. It's just like, well, the particular song that I thought we might do from this, it, it doesn't show the orchestration, which is too bad. It's Emperor really had this beautiful nightingale that he just loved, and he kept her caged. And then the Japanese emperor sent him another nightingale that was but not a real one, an artificial one that could only sing one tune, very tinny tune, but looked beautiful, was all jeweled and everything. And so he sort of got smitten with the new one and ignored the original nightingale. And so she flew off, but he didn't know her hair. And then um, the artificial nightingale broke. And no one could fix it. And the real nightingale was gone. So he was heartbroken. Now he didn't have any nightingales. And so he was dying. He was just a broken heart. And I mentioned death. Well, I thought, how am I going to put 
what would I put for death in a happy, funny little music tale? How do I do him? And so he's he's very impatient. He's stressed around like, come on, hurry up now. And he sings in this nasal kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's getting late, you know, by my records, this is this is the time you're supposed to do it. And so he's arguing with the emperor, and the emperor then responds with, no, for there are dreams that I must dream. We're going to go ahead and listen to it now. Uh, okay. This is this is The Emperor and the Nightingale by Lynette Lind. In this particular recording, the performers are Bill Williams as the baritone and Lynette Lind on piano. That was an aria from The Emperor and the Nightingale by Lynette Lind with Bill Williams baritone singing The Emperor and Lynette Lind on piano. We were just talking about the way you write a musical and you were saying that really it it doesn't have breaks like the aria, you know, I, I call that an aria, but maybe that's not an accurate description. How would you describe your process for for composing a piece like this? 
Um, I guess I don't think of it in any formal sense. It, I like, I like it to keep flowing. I, I don't like for things to stop. We have a round of applause it, because, okay, I think a lot of times when you have a recitative, an aria, or, or things divided, it's like you get to the end of the aria, you're stopping for applause. Which I think wrecks the whole story. I mean, the, the drama. I like it to be continuous without even thinking about it. That just is the way. I mean, that piece goes right into the chorus coming in and singing to him. <laughs> yeah, I just think continuous. Interesting. And so with, with regard to opera and musical theater, is there a difference? And if there is, where does that difference lie? And that's what I don't really know, and that's why I never know quite what to call it. Um, when I get into Beast, um, I guess I say more opera. This is it's more musical theater, but even there you have that kind of start, start feeling often. And I like a continuous line. Well, I don't mind if they stop for laughter now and then. <laughs> I mean, I put some, a lot of giggles in in this in, in the Emperor and the Nightingale, but I want to keep the listener in the music, in the, the message. And the message is the thing. Uh, it's not how wonderful this is. Or, I'm not begging for applause throughout, I guess, not for mm-hmm. the singers either. You said that you started composing for children. So you were thinking about how children might respond is that one reason why you decided to go with the with this continuous kind of composition? Um, because you know children don't necessarily know the conventions of opera that you would applaud after an aria or how to how to behave. It's more like a play almost. What you've done, right? Yes, yes. I don't think I had any particular thing. the The piece that I wrote for children was just simply to get them more interested and and understand the different ways music can speak. Okay, so you didn't write this one. This wasn't for um, for children specifically. No, it, it's definitely family. Mm-hmm. So the next piece we're going to listen to is Beast. It's based on the story of Beauty and the Beast. And um, I like that your work, it's something that families can enjoy together. It's not something, you know, because a lot of times opera is very niche and it's for an adult audience. And often the topics are really dense, um, maybe political. So it's kind of refreshing to have these going back to these old stories. And I have to say Beast is not really for, for young families. I use that more as an inspiration, but um, in my version, beauty, if you stop to think about it, is quite a brave put together person. Young woman, I mean, that's a very brave thing she did. And so she's She's rather spunky, and that's my beauty. My beast is not really a beast at all. Uh, this one is more, well, he's a man whose inner voices torment him. And so every time he, he thinks he's a beast, so every time he starts to feel hope or feel, well, maybe she'll like him, his inner voice, who was a tenor, um, like a shadow figure, would just rip him to shreds just insult and tear down and I'll take a, a sidestep out as a teacher I work with people one-on-one you know very close 
so many people have this inner demon that just rips at them and wrecks their confidence and makes it very hard to do anything. So maybe that is how this came about. I don't really know what led me down the path I took on this. Um, I will say before I go into Beast, there, there was another musical that I wrote for him that was more family also. Well, it was sort of in between. For Bill? Yes. This is for, for, for Bill, Bill again? Bill Williams? Yes. Mm-hmm. He kept me very busy. The first act is, I want to say, maybe a little difficult to listen to. He is so happy to have her there and to have company and maybe she'll like him and, you know, she is there, but against her own will. And she's really, she's very hostile toward him. So this scene will show that.
That was The Beast, Act One. And I know, Lynette, I know you wanted to speak a little bit about it and then segue into the other movement that we're going to play from The Beast, which is the finale. Yeah. And I should add, first of all, because, of course, you recognize Bill Williams again. But Missy Peterson is the soprano, and she was quite wonderful also. Mm -hmm. This one... um, as as you noticed, it's a synthesized score. It's also orchestrated for a chamber group. But um, I was interested in experimenting with synthesizers um, and did that with much help from Harrison Fisher, who well, was the sound editor and so forth, did a major part of putting that together. The next scene, now this is the final scene. Throughout each each scene progresses toward understanding. However, they're frequently destroyed by the alter ego, this inner voice, this tenor who rips at him and then he falls apart and it it becomes, well, very difficult. But in this final scene, you'll hear she now has has learned to to see past his, his scenes. And he at the same time has matured and grown out of feeling as a, like he's a beast, and decides she should be free. So their, their paths cross, and then this is the ending.
That was Beast, the final scene by Lynette Lind. That was Bill Williams, baritone, and Mitzi P- Peterson, soprano. Um, that score was synthesized score done by Harrison Fisher. Lynette. Yeah. I, I see what you mean. You know, it being, I mean, I still feel like it's something that you could take your family to, even though it's more, it's much more operatic yes. than, you know, your first one. I think this music is interesting because it's accessible. But it's also difficult, you know? It's a really well-done synthesis of the two things, I think. Thank you. I I want people to be able to feel to it, to be moved by it. And and I try to stretch those boundaries. And incidentally, I should mention that the the full versions of all of these things are on my website. Um, So if anyone wants to hear it all. And what's what's your website? Uh, LynetteLynn.com. Has Beast ever been performed by a full orchestra? No, no. And I think I would, I would keep it to a, just a small chamber group mm-hmm. because I have liked uh, Theater in the Park commissioned me to write Carousel of Dreams, which Bill Williams also did. And I kept the ensemble small. Well, to give the singers more flexibility, you can move with it. I, I should go back to some things, things you've been saying, though. I did, at the same time, someone else who, I guess I want to say it was a natural war, was very helpful, was Alan Nielsen, who was the conductor of the Raleigh Symphony Orchestra. I wrote the Toy Factory for orchestra, and it's it's very uh, 20th century. You can imagine. It's a factory. It's fun. They're bouncing mm-hmm. balls and things. The Toy Factory, the Ugly Duckling, Peaceable Kingdom, uh, just a great number of orchestral mm-hmm. and um, chamber works. The Ugly Duckling, it was inspired by a blue jay. I used to um, take care of injured birds, and this bird could never fly again, so he was, I had him like in a swimming pool, and he was by my feet, and he would look out the window and sing this sort of sad little song, and it was sort of my inspiration. Now we're going to listen to The Ugly Duckling. This is the second movement performed by the Raleigh Symphony Orchestra, Alan Nielsen conducting. getting very cold. Ice was beginning to form on the pond. She looked up and saw the loveliest white birds flying overhead. Perhaps she only imagined them. Perhaps they were dream birds, the kind that clouds sometimes make.
called out to them, but the wind caught her song and carried it far away. The lovely white birds could not hear her. were very tired. She could swim no more. She knew that she would always hear their song, even in her dreams.
So that was Ugly Duckling by composer Lynette Lind. I was going to say, just in case anyone else is really worried about the duckling, a farmer comes and rescues him in the third act. And it's very funny and it gets better. (laughs) And for those who are interested in listening to more of her music, you can go to her website uh, and the website that we spoke about earlier in the show, and you can listen to her pieces and download as well. We're going to transition to the next piece called Sea Dances. Uh, It's subtitled Dolphins. It's performed by Jim Williams, clarinet, Brianna Duar, cello, and Lynette Lind, again, yourself, on piano. Uh, And I do have a few questions about this piece, but we can listen to it first, and then afterwards we can go ahead and discuss the piece.
That was Sea Dances, Dolphins by Lynette Lind. Lynette, you know, at the beginning of the piece, it's really striking piano part, really calming and, and kind of focus in on it as a listener. Um, and it, you know, instantly strikes me as being minimalistic in nature. And I was wondering, is is that something that you intentionally chose to do? Uh, do, do you typically like to incorporate minimalism in your music? I use whatever I think will do what I want it to do. It's like an artist. I like to have all my tools, all my colors, and then I just pick the one that suits what I wanted. And um, I had a video that Bill Lovin had sent me of these two dolphins underwater swimming by each other. Hmm. And it was so beautiful how just, yes, I, I have used minimalism on other things, or but I don't use it to use it. I use it when it's what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to do what I want, I guess, and not follow the set structures. I, I have a T-shirt that says it all. I live in my own world, but it's okay. They like me here. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, life is so short. Uh, a lot of dissonance sometimes and, and rhythmic patterns. Uh, they're tools for me to do, play with. They're They're not gonna own me so you haven't felt like you had to subscribe to any school in particular um, coming up i think more of us should should approach music that way because it can be such a straitjacket to say i am this or i'm that i'm i declare myself (laughs) right right um and then you have to undeclare yourself when you decide you don't want to do that anymore exactly do you have any upcoming projects you can tell us about no um I feel like there's something in my head that's going to come out. I don't have something that has to be said right now, or I do, but it hasn't taken form. I don't write to write. I can do that. And and I've, I'll sit down and think, okay, well, I'm going to write something that does this. But then it's like, oh, I think I'd rather go play the piano. If it doesn't mean a lot to me, if it doesn't come from deep inside, then I'd rather be playing the piano or teaching, doing some other aspect of music. Um, I'm not saying it should be that way for anyone, but that's the way it is for me. Uh, I guess I get bored. It's not an intellectual thing for me. It has to come from inside. The piece I care about the most and would love to have done now, uh, we are brothers after all. It has a very dark opening. It, It has a narration and it's a choral chamber piece. Um, the bright part of it has been done. Um, the first part, though, uh, for a long time, men had killed one another. It seemed they could not agree on the name of their creator. So being logical, they killed one another. <laughs> and it goes from there. Um, I probably It's very relevant. <laughs> it is. And yet I don't, you see, I, I don't think anyone wants to see that. I, do, I submitted mm-hmm. that to a, a choral conductor somewhere around here a few years ago. And he said, oh, no, no, people want to be entertained. Yeah, I see that. But there's so much music to entertain with. I don't need to, you know, if I can't say what I really feel, then I'd rather be doing something else that has meaning. We're going to close with your first symphony. But before we do that, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on to the show today. It was a real pleasure having the opportunity to speak with you and learn about the music that you're composing. 
Thank you so much. Please remember that this is the last week of the WHUP fundraiser for Orange County. We're supporting all those wonderful artists and musicians. And because they're not able to perform in the venues right now, we want to help support them. Just go to the website, whupfm.org, click the donate button, and you can help us out. No amount is too small. You can also send a check to 117 West Queens, West King Street in Hillsboro, North Carolina, 27278. That's WHUP 117 West King Street, Hillsboro, North Carolina, 27278. So we're going to now listen to Symphony Number no. 1 by Lynette Lind. This was commissioned uh, for the Raleigh Bicentennial. The Raleigh Symphony Orchestra is performing under the baton of Alan Nielsen.
Thank you for listening to The Composer's Studio, available wherever you get your podcasts. And keep listening to the music of today.